Good morning. I just wanted to read a quote that I read this morning um, about Father's Day. It's from uh, Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a, an amazing ap- apologist, really helps explain the gospel to people all over the globe. He said this, On this Father's Day, may I call upon all dads to love our Heavenly Father and to love our children and their offspring as our Heavenly Father would have us love them. Only in the gospel do we have both the Father and the Son working together to bring us into God's family through the power of the Holy Spirit. That miracle reflects the splendor of why we exist and how our relationship with God is at the heart of God's call. So, fathers, happy Father's Day. I just wanted to... um, kind of back up what Rach said, I'd really recommend you get yourself to Ashburnham and it is great family being together in um, the Hope Hub at Ashburnham. There's, you know, not everyone enjoys camping. Adam really loves it, but um, <coughs> <coughs> he's got an extra long list for, for stuff that he needs to bring. But um, just really recommend you get yourselves there. Um, it's such a good time to be together. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the worship as well this morning. Wasn't it good? Good to sing. You know, in my head, I, I, I sound like Gabriel <coughs> when, when I'm singing. Now, my, my children are friends with Gabriel's children, so he's got a daughter called Jommy. And uh, when I'm at home sometimes, I'll be singing, and my son says, um, Dad, maybe you should leave the singing to Jommy's dad. <laughs> he's such an encourager. <coughs> but uh, I, I love being part of a family. Um, I love being part of the church family, but I love being part of my family as well, with my children. I'm being part of something that's bigger than myself. Now, I love talking to my kids about God, about life, about the future, about hopes and dreams. This is my crowd. Um, They're my kids and my wife. I love speaking to them, speaking truth into their life speaking destiny into their lives. I, I love to talk to my daughter, Eden. She is the most, one of the most loving, caring, compassionate people I've ever met. She's the, the one on her knees. I speak to her about how, as she grows older, her love and compassion for others are going to bring people to Christ. People are going to love God, I say to her, because you love them the way you love them. I talked to Nancy, she's the crazy one with the tongue out. I I talked to her about how she is going to be a mighty woman of God. I say to her when I put her to bed, we pray and I say, Nancy, are you going to be a mighty woman of God? She said, yes. I said, say it. She says, I want to be a mighty woman of God. I speak truth into it. I speak to my son. He loves to unpack the truths of Scripture. He loves to read and he remembers. He, he, I think he's got a better memory about Bible stories and verses than I have. <clears throat> I talked to him about how he's a, a leader of people, how he's going to lead people to Christ. I talked to him about how we behave. I'm going to take you off so you don't keep looking at them. Um, <clears throat> I talked to him about how we behave, how we treat others what we're doing with our lives, that we are more than just a family trying to be happy and exist, but we're on a mission. We're a family on a mission, that we are a people, like the verse that I said earlier, 
Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. That's what I try to instill into my kids, that we are a people. That it's about more than just being glorious individuals. I'm trying to give them an eternal perspective. You could also be part of a team. Now, I'm not sure if you can be able to pick which one I was in this team. I'll give you a clue, I was the tallest one. Um, Being part of a team gives you a, a perspective of being part of something else. This is a team I was part of many years ago, as you can tell. You can't quite tell that I had a ponytail as well. <coughs> Unfortunately, there's a little bit sticking out of the back there. <coughs> I tried, but the technology was beyond me. But I was part of this team for many years, and it gave me something else to focus on other than myself. And actually, we went on to win things in this team, and some of them moved on. But I, and the kit's a bit dodgy as well, isn't it, actually? But we'll move on from that. Let's not look at that picture anymore. (laughs) But being part of something else bigger than ourselves is good. To get our eyes off of ourselves. And today, what we're looking at, what we're reading as we continue in Luke, is looking at more than just some wise words from Jesus. But this is his description of the life of discipleship. That we're part of something bigger, much bigger than just ourselves and just our family, immediate family. But we're part of kingdom life. We're part of kingdom family. And he's instilling kingdom values. And you're a part of it if you're in Christ. Jesus has moved on from his confrontations with the Pharisees for now. He chose his disciples last week. And what we're starting to look at this week and looking over the next few weeks are considered to be some of the greatest words ever spoken. Certainly the greatest sermon ever, even better than last week's. So we're going to go from Luke 6 from verse 17. It says this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and with all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, 
for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's just pray. Lord, will you let this word sink deep into our hearts today? These words of yours that we have read. Let them speak straight into our heart and let us, Lord, help us have a realization of who we are, that we are a people, a people of God, that we are children of God, Lord. And as we read these, help these shape our lives. Help us to follow you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and just fill us and meet with us in this time. Amen. So, <clears throat> Jesus comes down from the mountain to a level place, and a great crowd gather to hear and be healed. And Jesus is performing miracles. Power comes out from him. Let's go back to the first bit. Power comes out from him. People are bringing people to Jesus. And that's, we're just going to look at this piece very quickly. And that's what we need to do, is bring people to Jesus. Power comes out from him. People and the crowd just sought to touch him. They just got close to him. That's all we have to do, is bring people close enough to touch him for an encounter. Those who are feeling troubled. You feeling troubled? Come to Jesus. Know those who are troubled? Bring them to Jesus. Power comes out from him and he heals them all. And then it says that he lifts up his eyes to his disciples. Jesus starts to speak and he lays out this kind of kingdom manifesto. It's a way of life. This sermon that Jesus is talking here is describing the life of discipleship that God is now creating among the followers of Jesus as they embrace God's kingdom rule. Jesus is describing here radical discipleship, kingdom people that have been taken hold of by the truth of the gospel. Jesus hasn't come looking for kingdom beatitude people. This is what these words are called, the beatitudes. He's not come looking for kingdom beatitude people because they don't exist. He's come to create a community. What we're looking at over the next few weeks is the upside-down kingdom. It's the opposite to what, the way the world lives and operates. It's radical discipleship. Radical discipleship. Radical discipleship lives out the reality of the kingdom of God. If we want to live out the vision of the church to do church bigger, which we do, then we must be radical disciples. To see both services grow. To see a third started, a fourth planted. To see many, many saved and added into the kingdom of God. 
many come to know Jesus, then we need to be radical disciples. Radical disciples that live differently to the world. It's so different. So different. If we just quickly glance over the next few weeks of what we're looking at, of loving your enemies, don't judge others, forgive others, producing good fruit, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's radical stuff. Completely opposite to the way the world lives. It's radical, life-changing stuff, what Jesus is uh, implementing here. I just encourage you as well over the next few weeks to be at home as well, reading what's ahead as we go through uh, chapter 6 over the next few weeks. Read it in your own time. What's God saying to you about it? Then come ready to hear in the next few weeks. It's radical. That's why we should raise our kids with with their eyes fixed on something else. Something eternal, the eternal God. It's different from others. Yes, there's a battle on for our kids. For our kids to be different. We don't want our kids to be growing up in the way of the world because that leads to death. There is a, of course there is a battle on because there is a, a confrontation of two different kingdoms. The upside down kingdom and the right side up kingdom of the way the world is living right now. That's why there's conflict in your workplace with your unsaved family, with your neighbours, because you are destined for another place. You have different passports that gives you access to a different place. There might be a rush on for passports before Brexit, but how about getting the right passport before Christ returns or before you meet God face to face? We will all meet him one day. just want to let you know that if you're here today, you will meet God face to face one day. And he will ask you, what did you do with his son, Jesus? There is a change of kingdom. The right side up kingdom, how the world is living, and the upside down kingdom that Jesus is implementing. For it to be upside down, we need to look at what is being replaced. So let's look at the last bit. Let's read this again. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. If you've been here in recent weeks, I talked about the severity of the woe. It's not a wow, it's a woe is not good. This is upside down because the world wants power and riches and recognition. The rich and well-fed who are comfortable, the laughing here in the original language is about to gloat. All who speak well of you, it's about acceptance. We all want to be accepted, don't we? But the problem is we... So look for it in so many other places. Other than where we should look. So I think uh, the emotional health seminar will be really helpful. See, Christ is is coming to replace those things. The things that are disdained in this world. 
He's coming to replace them with weakness and sacrifice and discomfort and exclusion. See, wealth, power and success are the things for now. And we are to avoid, aren't we, weakness and suffering. Nobody wants weakness and suffering. Who wants weakness and suffering? Oh, no one. But if the now is all there really is, then it's perfectly natural to avoid those things. It's evolution. Nobody's heard of the uh, survival of the weak or the rejected. If we're saying is that all that matters is the now, and there's nothing after this, after this life, it makes perfect sense to be filled now, to be rich, to be accepted now. But if you're building your sense of hope and happiness on your success or on your acceptance or on your beauty, how you appear, one day it will fade. I mean, you saw me in the football picture, right? (coughs) Actually, I think there's an improvement because of the hair. Someone will always eclipse you in your success and your beauty will never stay the same. If you build your life on comfort now and there is an everlasting life, then your laughter will be turned to weeping and sorrow. What Jesus is saying goes against everything we believe to value these things. In Daniel 5, King Belshazzar is in the middle of a party. And then all of a sudden there's this hand that appears and there's a writing on the wall. I mean, that would freak us out right now if that happened there, wouldn't it? A hand appeared... That would be in the weird category. But, but God came and spoke. King Belshazzar was in the middle of a party and his kingdom was about to crumble. That's what this prophetic warning was. And that's what it's like now if you're living for yourself now. Spending all your money on yourself. If your belly is full, the writing is on the wall. Hmm. Jesus' way of living, the upside-down kingdom, is about more than just throwing a few pennies to the poor on the way to the top. Jesus really came. Jesus really touched lepers. He healed the sick. He died on the cross. He gave himself. He rode into town on a donkey. He ate his last meal in a borrowed room. He ended up in a borrowed tomb. Yet he came in power. And this is the writing on the wall for those who aren't willing to live like this. What marks us out as Christians should be the reversal of the world's values. We prize what the world pities. If you're not driven by these things, by power, riches and comfort, you are not controlled by them. Give you an example of two people, one living in the right side up kingdom and one living in the upside down kingdom. And they're both in a job situation where if they tell the truth, they will lose their job. Well, the one living in the right side up kingdom has to has to lie. Why? Because he's a slave. He's a slave because he needs the house. 
He needs the comfort. He can't do without the comfortable life. But the Christian, the one in the upside-down kingdom, who's under the influence of the upside-down kingdom, isn't worried by these things or controlled by them. And he can tell the truth. See, when we're not controlled by power or success, you're free. If you can't, also, if you can't stand to be around power or money or recognition or be around people that have those things, if you run from them, then you're probably still controlled by them. It means you're probably intimidated by those people and you probably still really want it for yourself. But a person who lives in the upside-down kingdom isn't controlled by these things and it means that... Well, you can take it or leave it. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed. You're blessed if you weep now. A Christian is someone who can weep and still be blessed. See, if you live in the old kingdom, you're only blessed if your circumstances are good. Verse 23 says, leap for joy when you're persecuted in that day, for great is your reward in heaven. Who loves to be persecuted? Who leaps for joy? Oh. But when he's saying, when he's referring to that day, he's not referring to judgment day. He's saying when you're rejected, rejoice. Because great is your reward in heaven. It is. Your reward is in heaven when you're rejected. Stephen recognised it in Acts 7. He was being more than unfairly treated. He was being stoned to death. He was rejected, but he saw heaven open. He saw the acceptance of heaven. And he was vindicated before God as he was rejected on earth. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, Set your mind on, not on earthly things, but things above. Have you been excluded? Hurts, doesn't it? Your friend's gone out without you? Family gone away without inviting you? Spoken to people? about Christ and the relationship's never been the same well you're welcomed by God you've been excluded but you're welcomed by God that's why the world's values shouldn't matter to us because if we live for another world if this is true we can stand up for injustice we can tell the truth at work and not worry about losing our job Because Jesus is ultimately the rejected one. He came. He left the wonder of heaven. He became poor, literally, so that we could become accepted in his sight. Jesus isn't coming to reverse material prosperity. 
He's coming to reverse sin and judgment for us. We can be blessed and satisfied because he was thoroughly dissatisfied and cursed and hung on a tree. The only way to receive these riches is to be poor in spirit, to realize and accept before God that you've got nothing to offer and you're saved by his grace. If you live like this, you know when you're poor and empty and weak, the kingdom is near. Jesus is drawing near to you. When have you really got to meet with God, connected with Christ? It's often not when you're happy or when you're at the top of your game. It's when you're at your most needy. That's when he comes. That's when he gives us strength in those moments. Therefore, we can go and be reckless with the way we live the way we give, the way we reach out, the way we spend our time with the hopeless, with those who are of no benefit to us. We can do that, live like that, if we can take hold of the first beatitude of blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In Matthew, it says it slightly differently because he talks about the poor in spirit. If you put the two... um, Beatitudes in Matthew and Luke together, they are slightly different, but there are a lot of similarities. There are more in Matthew, and it's laid out slightly differently. But to, to say the poor in spirit helps us understand this a bit more. Jesus is clearly not saying that if you've got little money, if you've got a fiver to your name, then you're in. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying if you come in today with your brand new Range Rover or your Porsche, then you're out. That's not what he's saying. He's moving beyond external economics. So blessed is the man, happy is the man, transformed is the man, deep is the man who understands he is spiritually bankrupt before God. That he has nothing that he can give to God as a barter for God's favour, for justification or for right standing. Blessed is the man who understands that no matter how many religious activities he's in, no matter how well he pulls off this moral code, no matter how clean his life is, God owes him nothing. We can still feel that God owes us a favour because we've been good. But he's saying, Jesus, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand that there's nothing in them that they can give to God. That somehow they'll make God go, oh, okay, you've done that, I'll take that, and now you can have this. No, that's not how it works. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones that go, I can't figure this out. I can't figure this out, God. Blessed are those. The poor in spirit are those who've learned that they don't know everything. And they don't need to. He wants us to be humble before him. And this starts to make sense, because remember when Jesus, uh, a little while ago in Luke, he quoted out of Isaiah, what did he come to do? Preach good news to the poor. But he's ministering to just more than poor people. Because our friend Levi Well, he wasn't poor. 
He came to proclaim good news to those who were poor in spirit, felt like they couldn't do it, that they couldn't get close enough to God, that they were broken and they were wicked. And this starts to make sense when we look at who gets enraged by the gospel message. We think about last week when Jesus healed the man with a withered hand. What happened? They were enraged, the Pharisees. It says they were full of fury. It happened when Jesus was eating with Levi. They said to him, why are you eating with sinners? The Pharisees have responded to Jesus coming and preaching grace, preaching mercy, preaching love, preaching reconciliation. They respond with wrath and fury. The religious elite, those who believed they were clean, believed that they did right, had the right standing before God because they were good, that they washed their hands, that they said grace, that they didn't do this. They went there, they did that, so God must love them. They found Jesus' message unbelievably offensive. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The present power of the king of the universe is on hand for those who are poor in spirit. The present power of the king of the universe is on hand for those who are poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit before the almighty God? But woe to you who think by your discipline, by your humanistic good, need, good deeds, you can find justification. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the power of God to transform. That's why they call it good news. This is good news. If you can admit before the Almighty, before the Son of Man, that you have nothing to offer, but by his grace, that's, then you are accepted. That's why Paul says to boast in Christ alone. Nothing of your own achievements. Even your own righteousness is as filthy rags. Filthy rags. But if you can recognize your condition in front of a holy God, you are welcomed into his kingdom and you are big, part of something bigger than yourself. It's why you can then hunger and thirst when it says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Pursuing him. Hunger for more of him. He's the comforter. He's the enabler. He's the strength giver. Keep hungering. Is that a word? It is now. He will transform you. He will transform you. To quote Paul, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 3 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. We are being transformed. Allow time for him to speak to the quietness of your soul. Let him speak to you. We don't like silence. Talked about having rest last week. We don't like silence. There's always something to listen to, something to watch, something to do. 
but allow him to speak to the quietness of your soul. And we should weep now. Weep for those that don't know Christ. Who haven't yet accepted Christ. There's a reality here. Because, like I said, everybody will meet him face to face one day. And ask, what did you do with my son? Weep now for those who haven't yet accepted their own poverty in front of Jesus. And as we weep for the world around us, that those, those that don't know him, we must pray. Pray for the lost. Pray for those who may reject you. And, but expect it. They rejected him, Jesus. So they will reject you. Expect it. But rejoice. Rejoice because yours is the kingdom. You are heirs. Because the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8, 16 to 17. You are drawn in if you are under Christ. Drawn into his family. I love being part of my family, but I love my family being part of the wider family. The family of God. If you're new here today, if you're visiting, you're welcomed into the family. It's an amazing privilege to be part of Christ's glorious church. We are family here, and you are most welcome. But he is drawing you in. To his team, not my dodgy team. You're a kingdom people. Rejoice because you are part of the most amazing family. And you are part of his eternal plan to reach those who are not yet blessed. Because they haven't realized their own poverty. You are part of his eternal plan. Will you come? And join and be part of the vision of the church to do church bigger. Because we want to see many, many saved in this town and beyond. And in this nation. Because there's many that are comfortable now. That are, that are full now. And they need to come to know him. We want to see both services full again not just through more Christians but through those coming in that don't know him they're not yet saved who will be saved but to do that you have to be a radical disciple as well to help reach out to look different because you are part of the upside down kingdom you're part of his eternal plan so let's proclaim it the kingdom has come. Let's rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, will you help us, Lord, to live in this world where there's the right side up and the upside down kingdom and help us, Lord, not reflect the values of the world but your values, Lord, we want to be radical disciples. Radical disciples that can reach out, that don't fear rejection. 
Lord, we hunger and thirst for righteousness before the holy God. Will you come? Help us, Lord, as your disciples to reach those who don't yet know you. Lord, we cry out and weep for those who are lost right now, for the people in Seven Oaks who don't know Jesus. Lord, will you come? Will you stir up a hunger and a thirst for you in this town and beyond? Lord, we believe that you have said many words over this church that as we aim to do church bigger, not by just reaching numbers, but by reaching many people. Help us each individually play our part in that vision. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.